Um, can I have my slides, please? It's the file called Forsaken. Yes, okay. Okay, in um, the lead up to Easter, just for the next three weeks, we're going to do a tiny mini series, okay, uh, focusing on the cross. And, you know, the cross, the cross is probably the, the best known symbol for Christianity, right? If you see a cross on a building, immediately you know it's a church, right? Um, sometimes you see people wear like a cross necklace, right? And then you assume that they are Christian, right? I mean, of course I know that um, crosses get trendy at some point, okay? But you know, you assume that, you assume, right? That they are Christian. Um, and the cross is, it is so central to our faith, you know, to, to what we believe as Christians. I think the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection after, uh, which, is, which is basically what we look at in, in this whole Easter season, um, this is the reason why we are saved and this is how we are saved, right? If you think about it, the cross reveals God's love, God's sovereignty, his power, his, his holiness, his grace, his justice. His mercy, His glory, His victory, so much. It reveals so much about God, right? So in this little series, okay, for the next three weeks that lead up to Good Friday and then um, Easter, we're going to focus on the cross. And specifically, we're going to look at the things that Jesus said when He was hanging on the cross, okay? There are seven things um, that He said. Uh, and, and, I, and I think that there's a lot of significance um, in these words. And if we actually study these seven things that he said, uh, we'll find that it's, it's almost like a summary of what he had been teaching uh, in his life on earth, a summary or a culmination of the things that, that Jesus taught while he was on earth. And these seven things actually show us some fundamentals, okay? Uh, fundamental like doctrines, principles, concepts uh, in Christianity. Okay, so can anyone list the seven things? Yes, okay, correct, correct. There's Lynn, thanks for designing the Insta thing yesterday. What, my God, okay, what, what else? Yep, okay, today will be me in paradise. Anything else? What? It is finished, very good. Anything else? Huh? Whoa! I thought that's the one no you'll get. I thirst. That's what Jesus said as well. Okay. Three more. Quick, I give you a price. But you missed out the most important word. Forgive, yeah, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they're doing. Okay, two more. And the last part, right at the end. Just before, just before he dies. Into your hands, I commit like, my spirit, okay? Was there, is there one more? Huh? What? Eh? <laughs> no, they were actual words. <laughs> did, did you get all? I can't remember. Yes! Okay, so, Father, forgive them for you know what we're doing. Today will be me in paradise to the, the, the thief next to him, right? Uh, and then he tells John, behold, sorry, he tells Mary, behold your son, and uh, he tells John, behold your mother. Uh, and today we'll talk about that. I thirst. It, it is finished. Okay. So, 
Um, these now these are the ones that we are going to look at. Okay, we're not going to look at all of them. Um, today we're going to look at the fourth word. Okay, that's what I call it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, next week in our CGs, we're going to look at the first two. Okay, they appear in the same passage, right? So just what Jesus says um, as he sees the you know the crowd, and then as he speaks to the the thief on his side. And for Easter, we're going to talk about when he says, it is finished. Okay? And, you know, I really pray that as we go through um, just this little series, that God will help us see the beauty and the glory of the cross. Okay? And, and that we will respond um, accordingly. Okay? In, in awe and in worship and, and in surrender. Okay? So, I hope you prepare your hearts. Um, this is what we're going to look at today. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, this, um, this is actually found in two Gospels in Matthew, Matthew 27, 46, as well as Mark 15, 34. Okay, so in Matthew and Mark, they, um, this line appears. And I wonder if any of you have ever felt this way. Like if you have ever felt forsaken or abandoned. Right, or, or deserted or just alone. Because this is what the cry of Jesus was about. This is how he felt. He felt forsaken. And I want to start by telling you a story. Maybe some of you have, have heard this before. Um, but but I, I want to share with you one of the, the tough periods of my life. Okay, So this was um, November, December 2011. And I had just given birth to Gemma, my firstborn, first daughter. Um, she was maybe two to three weeks old, uh, and there were some complications with the breastfeeding, okay? For more than a week, I was having a really bad fever, and um, there was a lump, and it was really painful. And, and, and this was, of course, on top of the usual tiredness uh, after giving birth, you know? Uh, like, I couldn't sleep because you have to feed the baby all the time, right? And, and so anyway, it, it was quite bad, and, and the pain got, got so bad that um, I had to go see a doctor, Okay? So I, I went to see the doctor, I went to see the GP, the GP said it's bad, and he referred me to, uh, he said, you better go to the hospital or something. And I went to the hospital, I, went to, I was waiting to see my, my gynae, who's like a woman's doctor, and he said, oh, this is bad, you need to see like, you know, the specialist or whatever. Um, and, and anyway, so, so yeah, I was just like going from one doctor to another, there was a lot of waiting. And of course, in the meanwhile, like the baby's still crying, right? <laughs> I'm still, still having a fever and all that. And so finally... Finally, I see the specialist, right? And she, you know, she, I don't know, she checks and whatever, x-ray uh, or something, I don't know. And she says, you have a massive infection and we need to get you into surgery now. Okay, now. Now, as you can imagine, um, all this is very traumatic, okay? I've been, been feeling sick and, and in pain. I didn't really know what's wrong. Um, meanwhile, I'm still trying to care for the baby and feed the baby like, every three hours, every two hours. Uh, and, like, generally just dealing with, you know, being a new mother and, and, and also feeling like a failure as a new mother. And then now suddenly, oh, you need surgery now. And, and you know, usually if you get this kind of infection, right, um, it's called mastitis, they, they will use a syringe to, to draw out the, the, the pus, okay? But for me, the, the abscess, is that what it's called? The abscess. Uh, was so big that they had to operate, okay? And they had to, so they had to put me under GA, general anesthetic, anesthesia. Um, and, you know, basically put me to sleep, right? And, and do the surgery. And, and actually, 
while all this was happening, right, actually in the lead up to all this, this is, so this is November, okay? And so youth camp preparations uh, were, were underway, okay? And, and actually all throughout, right, people were texting me and asking me stuff about camp, like, what should we do for this and what should we do for that and what should we, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and, then, and then they were asking me all this stuff and, and I was like, number one, I feel bad because I'm not around, right, to help them. And number two, like, I feel bad because I'm like, just, I can't deal with it, okay? I'm, so, I'm in so much pain. I can't deal with it, okay? Um, so, so, so it's just generally a bad time, okay? And I was feeling like, like firstly, I felt bad that I, I couldn't be in my youth, right? Um, I felt like a failure as a mother. I mean, to me, it's just like breastfeeding is the most normal, natural thing that people have been doing since the beginning of time, right? I mean, uh, like, just shove your breast into the kid's mouth, right? Like, how... How hard can it be? Very. <laughs> uh, yeah, all of you don't identify. Okay, you understand. You understand this side. Let's talk to this side. You understand when you are when <laughs> next time. Okay. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Ganesh, you understand. Okay. So basically, it was a bad day. Okay. Uh, it was re- it was really bad. Like being suddenly told that you need to go for surgery now. It's just like everything, and then everything was just happening suddenly. And and to be very honest, I. I, have, I actually have difficulty remembering all the details of that day. Like, like this week, I was texting my husband to ask, actually, what happened? Uh, because I had difficulty remembering all this because I, I actually think I was so traumatized, I, I blocked out a lot of things um, in my mind, you know? Or maybe, maybe the GA blocked it out for me, right? Um, so it was just like, okay, okay, we need to get you for, ready for, for surgery now. Um, and of course, all this while, uh, my husband was with me, right? And, and he, was, he was a great help with the baby. And obviously, he was trying to be strong for me and encourage me and all that. And, and, and that helped. But then it was like, okay, we've got to push you in now. And, and it's like, you know, you can't even say bye. <laughs> it's like, you're sitting in the bed and then like, okay, we've got to push you in now. Okay, push you in now. Um, and, and then, of course, my, my husband had to stay outside. And so the nurses, so I was on the hospital bed, and the nurses, they pushed me in right from the corridor where, you know, my, my husband was. They pushed me in. And before we reached the OT, the operating theater, okay, I don't know why, okay, for some reason, at one point, they just stopped, and they all just walked away from the bed. I mean, is that normal medical procedure, Dr. Justin? I don't know, okay? Like, but they literally, they just left me there. In the, I don't even know where I am, okay? I've, I've never been inside before, right? So it's like, I, I was just, I, I don't even know what's going on. And suddenly, I'm just left there in the middle of nowhere, um, and the nurses are like, oh, we're gonna just, and they, just, they just left. All the nurses left, okay? Um, and so obviously my husband's not there because he's outside. He can't come in. Um, the nurses have left me. Who knows where? Uh, and I'm just, I'm all alone. I'm lying there. I have no idea what's going on. And I'm scared. I've, I've never had surgery before. I, and I'm not prepared. Like, this has all taken me by surprise. You know, I'm the kind of person, I don't like spontaneity, okay? Like, I need to have singly tunpei, you know? Like, if, if you know, if I'm going to go for surgery, okay, I would deal with it, but I would prepare for it, right? Suddenly, it's just like, oh, bam, you're there. Um, and, 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 of course, I, I was also worried about my baby. Like, how long is this operation going to take? Who's going to feed her, right? And I, 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 I didn't know what to expect. Um, it, it, it was terrible. I was lying there alone. And, obviously, in the past few weeks, I had been asking God, why? God, why, why is this happening, Right? Um, I've been praying, but I wasn't getting better. 
Um, and, and, you know, God, I, I, wh- I've been serving you, you know, all throughout the pregnancy and all, whatever, right? And, and at that point, lying there in the middle of I don't know where, um, I did not say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, but Because uh, I think I was probably too shocked to have prayed anything. But I definitely felt very, very alone. Um, and I felt somewhat abandoned. Uh, and I was just like, why, God, why is this, why is this happening? And, and actually, the amazing thing is, actually, at that moment when I was all alone and when I was feeling forsaken, I actually saw an angel at the foot of my bed, um, at, the, at the foot of the hospital bed. And, and, and he didn't say anything or he, he didn't do anything, but he was just there. And I want you to know that I'm not the kind that, sees all these things, like I see visions, and like, oh, I see an angel, and I'm, I'm not, okay, I, I'm, I'm not, but I'm very sure um, that, that I saw him, okay, actually, actually, right, I, I, I told you, I, blo- I, I can't actually remember if I saw one or two, but there was definitely someone there, um, you know, he was a big man, he was there, uh, I don't know, maybe some of you think like I was hallucinating, like out of the trauma or something, but, but, but I saw him, and, and that encouraged me, and it reminded me that in the midst of all that, I don't know what's going on, but in the midst of all that, God was there. And I don't know if any of you have ever been in a similar situation um, or just any other situation where you felt alone or you felt abandoned or you felt forsaken. And, and maybe like me, you just somehow found yourself in a position like this or maybe over the years and over time, you have felt like your friends or your family just abandoned you. People have left you. People have deserted you. Um, I don't know. I don't know if any of you have, can understand this. But at the very least, I think most of us can think of a situation where we have asked, my God, my God, why? Why is this happening, God? And, and you know, it's not just about personal suffering or or personal tragedy, right? I'm sure at some point we would have asked, God, why? Why is there injustice and suffering in this world so often? Like, where were you, God, when the shooting happened? You know, why did you forsake these people? I was going to say, where were you when September 11 happened? But then I realized most of you were not born yet, right? Okay, so anyway, you know. Well, where, where were you, God, when all these tragedies happen? When war, you know, the tragedies of war take place. Why, why, why do bad things happen to good people? God, did you like forsake humanity at that point? Like, God, did you forsake me at that point? Because I saw that angel, but maybe some of you didn't. Right? Maybe for some of you, you just felt abandoned, forsaken, and that's it. There was no encouragement no happy ending, nothing. Why? Why, God? Why have you forsaken us? And I find it amazing that on the cross, that Jesus asked the same question. He asked this question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this was a cry of deep abandonment and a cry of anguish, right? It it was not a casual cry. It was a cry of anguish. 
And today, as we examine these words, I think that they will show us the extent of the Savior's suffering on our behalf, on your behalf, and on my behalf. They will show us the extent of our sin that put him there, sin that required Jesus to experience this depth of suffering. And finally, they will show us the extent of his love that endured this suffering. You know, when we think about this line, what he said, I think we can measure the height of his suffering, the height and the depth of his grief, and see the height and the depth of his love. And when we look at the cross, we will see the price that Jesus paid. We will see the debt that we owe him. And, and I know many of us here, maybe we've been Christians for a while. We've heard the Good Friday story, right? We've heard the crucifixion story. But I pray that as we look at the cross today, that we will not be indifferent and think that we know it all or we've heard it all. And I'm really praying that we today, that we will be wrecked by the power and the glory and the love of God that the cross shows us. So let's look at this cry of Jesus. You know, this cry, it was not a cry of, wow, this cross is very painful. It was not a cry of physical suffering, right? It was not the physical suffering and the physical torture that made him cry out, even though, even though he had been made to wear a crown of thorns, he had been beaten up, he had his hands and his feet nailed to the cross, right? Crucifixion has, even up to today, it has been the most cruel form of punishment in the history of mankind. The most cruel form, most cruel form of physical punishment, but it wasn't the physical punishment and the physical suffering that made Jesus cry out. He endured all that in silence, right? And maybe some of you here, you will identify with this, you will understand that actually grief of mind and heart is much harder to bear than pain of body, right? So it wasn't, there was a lot of physical pain, but that was not the thing that, that, that Jesus uh, really, like, you know, he fully suffered from. And, you know, it wasn't even a cry complaining of the way people were treating him, right? It wasn't like, my God, my God, why are these people such idiots, you know? That's just me when I drive. Okay, having been betrayed by, you know, Judas and by Peter, right? Already betrayed by his close friends, right? In the lead up to the cross, Jesus was also spit on. He was mocked, right? They stripped him of his clothes. They were gambling for his clothes. And everyone was insulting him. The, crowds were, the crowd was insulting him. Um, the teachers of the law were insulting him. And even the robbers crucified next to him were insulting him. And I find that, I find that perplexing, you know, because these robbers, they are also crucified. Their hands and feet are nailed to the cross and they spend their dying breaths insulting a guy that you don't even know. Like that is how dumb and sinful mankind is. And Jesus endured it all in silence. He did not make a comment. In fact, all he said was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And then he said to the other side, Today you will be with me in paradise. So he, it was not the humiliation that really got to him. It was not the annoying and, and foolish people that got to him, right? It was not the physical suffering that got to him, even though all that was really bad. The cry of Jesus on the cross was a cry of abandonment by the Father. And this was the one thing the one thing that Jesus couldn't bear, and yet he bore. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Why have you abandoned me? Why have you deserted me? And being forsaken of God was the worst part of the cross for Jesus. And so I want to start by talking a little bit about just how much Jesus suffered. You know, I think it's not difficult uh, for us, right, to identify with these words of Jesus when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Out of all the seven things on the cross, this is probably the line that we most identify with. Unless you're thirsty and you, you, know, you need, need a drink. <laughs> okay, but this is probably the line that we most identify with because we think that we know what it means to be forsaken. We think that we have felt forsaken before. And I want to tell you today, actually we don't. Do you know, when I felt forsaken, lying in that hospital bed in the middle of nowhere, right, the abandonment and the forsakenness I felt there was just a minuscule fraction of the forsakenness that Jesus felt on the cross. And I want to say today that we will never understand the extent to which Jesus suffered. And let me explain why. To be forsaken of God would have been a lot more, much more painful to Jesus than it would have been to us because, number one, he was perfectly holy. He was perfectly holy and sinless. And number two, because he had enjoyed fellowship with God much more richly and constantly than any of us ever have and ever will. Because Jesus was perfect in every way, because he was a completely holy man, he was therefore fitted for communion with God to the maximum degree. Like he's the best person that could have communed with God. He, you know, the communion between Jesus and God was like 100%, right? Because he's a perf he's the holy man. You see, as sinful people, we, we need God, but we don't fully know just how much we need God. We don't actually fully, ex fully understand exactly how much we need God. And therefore, we don't feel the same kind of hunger and thirst for God that a perfect sinless man will feel when he is deprived of God. Do you get that? Sorry, it's going to be a bit heavy today, okay? Let me say that again. Because we are sinful humanity, we need God, but we don't fully understand just how much we need God. And therefore, we don't feel the same kind of hunger and thirst for God that a perfect sinless man will feel when he is deprived of God. And therefore, when he says he is forsaken of God, he is suffering way more than any of us ever will. When we say we feel forsaken of God, Jesus feels it like, like infinity times more because he was the perfect man, right? Now, before we continue, I, I feel a bit like I need to say something about the Trinity, okay? As we look at this verse today, I think we will need to grapple a little with this concept of the Trinity, okay? The Godhead three in one. Father, Spirit, Son, right? Now, this is a huge concept that we can spend hours discussing, okay? If you're really interested, sign up for Bible school <laughs> and you have to write lots of essays on it. Okay, now let me just establish a few things, okay? Number one, there is only one God, right? Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one, okay? There is only one God. The first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. So we don't worship two gods, three gods, many gods. There is only one God. But God exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Okay? 
Now, some people like to say that it's like three in one coffee. Yeah, but no, not really. I mean, because, because Jesus and the Father, they are separate, right? They, they, they have a relationship with each other, as we're going to talk about, okay? Now, some people say the, the Trinity is like water because it can exist in three different states, right? Liquid, solid, and gas, right? Yeah, but also not really because God exists as three persons at the same time, right? It's not like one day he's Jesus, then he morphs into the Father. Or no, okay? Uh, he, he doesn't morph or evolve. or like At, at, at all times, he exists as three, three persons, right? And, and I actually feel that there's, there's no adequate analogy from human experience um, that can fully explain or describe the Trinity because it is a divine mystery, okay? It is a divine mystery. And actually, this cry, right, when, when Jesus says, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This cry from the Son to the Father and the Son's obedience to death, it is quite hard to make sense of it unless we recognize that this is actually an outworking of the mystery of the Trinity. Okay? It is, is a mystery of the Trinity because when Jesus was on the cross and, and crying out that the Father has forsaken, He didn't stop being God at that time. Okay? Jesus was fully God, fully human. Right? And it's not like at that time, suddenly he was no longer God and he was only... No, no, no. At all times, he was fully man, fully God. And it is only because God is three, Trinity, that God can suffer as one of us and still be God. Okay? It is only because God is three, the Trinity, that he can suffer as one of us and still be God. And so we need to understand that Jesus Christ, the Son and God the Father, they are, they are separate persons, right? They're one God, but they're separate persons who have a relationship with each other. They have a father-son relationship, right? And, and, and this is it, that all throughout his time on earth, Jesus has always talked about his closeness with the Father, right? He's always talked about how he and the Father are one. Let me show you some verses, okay? John 11, this is when he's praying and, and he, he uh, raises Lazarus from the dead, okay? He says, he prays to the Father and he says, I knew that you always hear me. The Father always hears me. Okay? John 17, he's praying for the disciples, praying for the world. He says twice that they may be one as we are one. Father and Son are one. Right? John 16, um, this is when he's talking to the disciples. He says, a time is coming and in fact has come where you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Right? You will all forsake me. Yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. Right? All will desert me, but my Father is with me. And of course, if, you re if you've read uh, the Gospels, you know, at his baptism, and the baptism of Jesus, as well as at the uh, transfiguration, the Father says, you are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Okay? So, Father, God, the Father, God, the Son, there is this closeness and this oneness between Jesus as and the Father. And so, my point is, to go from this state of complete unity to a state of forsakenness where the Father forsakes the Son would have been devastating for Jesus. To have the Father's presence withdrawn, to have His constant source of comfort withdrawn, that would have been devastating for Jesus. Because the extent of His fellowship with the, with the Father in His life was the same extent of His abandonment in His death as close as he was to the Father in his life. That was how much he felt forsaken. 
that was the extent of his suffering. And so that's one reason why he suffered a lot more than any of us ever will. The second reason, not only did he have perfect communion with the Father, Jesus was the perfect man. The Bible says that he was without sin. He knew no sin. He was without sin. But on the cross, sin was laid on him. Right? The perfect holy man, sin was laid on him. And, and I think he would have been kind of shocked, you know, or like, like he had never known sin. And now he was bearing sin. And what is sin? Sin is rebellion against God. And God hates sin, right? That is why the Father, in His perfect holiness as the righteous judge, He cannot smile upon the Son who had at that point become the substitute for the guilty taking all their sin. And so Jesus, God the Son, He has to bear that which He hates, sin. So because of His intimacy with the Father and because of His sinlessness, as He hung there, on the cross, bearing the sin of the world. This was a new grief for Jesus, something he had never known before. He has never known what it is to not be in full communion with God. He has never known sin, right? The verse says, he who knew no sin became sin, right? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so that is the extent of Christ's suffering on the cross. That is how much he suffered. You know, his suffering is not some abstract idea. It's not some symbolism. You know, when he went to the cross, it was physical torture. It was emotionally humiliating and hurtful and heartbreaking. But most of all, it was spiritually devastating for Jesus. And this is why I think it is not possible to equate our everyday trials to what is happening on the cross because of who Jesus is versus because of who we are. And yet, look at Hebrews 12. It's one of my favorite passages. Hebrews 12, 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I remember once I read this passage when, when I was going through um, a really difficult time. And, and it really encouraged me to know, just simply to know, that whatever I was struggling with and whatever I was suffering, that Jesus had struggled and suffered a whole lot more. To the point of shedding his blood, emptying himself of power, being forsaken by his Father. And because of what Jesus suffered, because of what he suffered on the cross, we can take comfort in the fact that he knows and understands all our suffering as well. In fact, he knows so much more. Jesus has known all suffering and anguish and agony. He has known the full extent of forsakenness. And in fact, he has known it to a depth that we will never know. And that is why Hebrews 4 says, For we do not have a great high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. So, if any of you here, you are suffering today, whether physically, emotionally, 
spiritually, you're feeling forsaken, you're feeling alone. I want you to know that Jesus knows and he understands, even if no one else does. In fact, he knows and understands to a degree that you don't even know. Because he is God in heaven, but he's not out of touch with our reality. He's been through it all. He's been through weakness and testing and struggle. He's experienced it all. He's experienced it all. And so he literally feels you. He knows because he has gone through far worse in his struggle against sin. And so if you are suffering, fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the author, the one who gave us our faith, the perfecter, the one who will bring it to perfection. And the verse is, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And take encouragement and take courage from the cross. And I think Jesus' cry from the cross, it shows us how we should respond to suffering. You know, whether it is our own suffering or whether in times when we question why is there injustice and suffering and innocent suffering in this world. You know, times when we ask, why? Why, God? Why have you forsaken us, humanity? You see, Jesus' cry on the cross, it was actually, it was a paradox. You know, it's a paradox, right? It's seemingly contradictory because it was an accusation. You've forsaken me, right? It was a cry for explanation. Why? Why? You've forsaken me, accusation. Why? Give me an explanation. But it was also an affirmation. My God, my God, my God, my God, a recognition that God is still God. He's still my God. And in Jesus' accusation and in his cry for explanation, he nevertheless did not deny God's existence. He did not reject God. He cried out, my God, my God. And in crying out, my God, there was a faith that believe that God is still God, that God is in control with His sacred sovereignty. And even in His suffering, Jesus' obedience was still perfect. He felt forsaken, but He was still clinging to God and declaring confidence in Him. In fact, you know, when He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was actually quoting Psalm 22. Okay, can we turn now to Psalm 22? And when you look at Psalm 22, you will see that the, the first verse is the exact same question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the first verse of Psalm 22. If you look down a few verses, if you look at verse 17 and 18, right? It says, I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Does it sound familiar? Right? This is what Jesus experienced on the cross as well. Right? And perhaps from the cross, as people look down at the people gambling over um, his clothes, he was perhaps reminded of that psalm. Um, you know, the Jewish kids, they memorized tons of scripture, right? Perhaps he, he had memorized this and he was thinking of that psalm. Now, if you look through Psalm 22, you will see that it is spoken by someone 
who sounds like he's going to die and he expresses this sense of abandonment that he feels. Right? Why have you forsaken me? And yet, right, so if you look at, okay, verse 1 and 2, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and am not silent. And yet, verse 3, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you, our fathers put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not disappointed. Despite this cry of abandonment, the psalm still has that expression of trust. And in fact, it ends with a conclusion that God is sovereign and does not turn away from His people. Right? The end of the psalm is like, the poor will eat and be satisfied. You know, dominion belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. Generations will serve Him. Uh, they will proclaim His righteousness. Right? Verse 24, Reveal Him, all you descendants of Israel, for He has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden His face from Him, but has listened to His cry for help. And so in quoting Psalm 22, Jesus is expressing that experience of painful abandonment, but he is also, also expressing a firm conviction that ultimately God will deliver him. Now, if you think about this, Psalm 22 was written ages ago, right? From the time of King David, right? Ages and ages ago, right? Now, at this point, do you think the psalmist um, just like wrote this prophetically, you know, about about people casting lots for, for the clothing. He's just prophetically writing, my God, my God. No, I don't think so. I mean, yes, it was a prophecy uh, of what would happen eventually, but it also would have meant something at that point, right? Perhaps the psalmist was going through a bad situation. He felt abandoned. He felt alone, right? And then this psalm was put into the Jewish Psalter, which is like the, the, their songbook, right? The book of Psalms. Um, perhaps, and, and it was probably put there to speak to people who are going through a similar experience of suffering. Right? So, in quoting Psalm 22 on the cross, in quoting its question of why God is far away, Jesus was identifying with all who go through suffering and, and he was connecting and identifying with humanity across the ages who have searched for reasons for the trials that befall them. He was identifying with all who go through suffering. And in saying these words, in quoting these words, in referencing this psalm, Jesus was showing us very much that He is one of us. He is one of us when it comes to dealing with, with human suffering and the attempt to make sense of tragedy. Why, God? Why? And just as in His humanness, if you remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane, He prays, if it is possible, take this cup away from me. Right? Just as in his humanness, he prays for the cup to be taken away. In his humanness, he asks, God, why? Why have you forsaken me? And yet, even though he questioned, he felt the abandonment and he questioned, he still surrendered and he obeyed. And that was Jesus' attitude to, to this mystery of his suffering and abandonment. And I think we can learn from him in this. You know, that if you ever feel forsaken by God, if you ever feel deserted and alone, learn from Jesus how you can respond. And firstly, that it's okay to ask why. It is normal to ask why. When Jesus asked why, that cry was not doubting God, 
or doubting that God exists because Jesus was crying to him, right? That cry was not a cry against God. It was not a cry of rejection of God. It was a cry that said, God, I want to feel your presence. I believe, but I want to feel your presence. It feels lonely. That is what the cry says. I want to experience and feel your presence. And so when you suffer, in your suffering, don't give up your faith. Declare your faith in God. My God, my God. You know, in your suffering, don't stop reading the Bible. Find a text that speaks to your situation. Jesus found Psalm 22. In your suffering, don't stop praying. But pray more earnestly than ever. My God, my God. And so as we have looked at the extent of Jesus' suffering, I want to talk now about the extent of our sin. Okay? Have any of you watched um, Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ? I realized that it, was, it came out in 2004, and um, some of you were not born yet. Who was alive in 2004? Okay, great. I feel, feel better about myself now. So, do, do you know who's Mel Gibson? Some of you? Okay. Uh, maybe you would have seen this meme. Have you seen this? So, this, th- that's Mel Gibson. Okay? And, and this is a... S- yeah, oh, oh, yeah. Okay, that's Mel Gibson. He was, he's, uh, he's the director. Um... And, and, and this, this guy is Jim Cavazil, or I, can't, I don't know what's his name, but he's, he's the Jesus actor. Um, and, and this is a, a behind-the-scenes from, from the Passion movie, okay? I love this meme, by the way, okay? I love it. It's like, it's deep. <laughs> so much truth in there, okay? Um, so basically, this is the Passion of the Christ, okay? Um, the film depicts, well, obviously, the Passion, Mainly, the, the, you know, the, the final day, the final like, 24 hours maybe, um, before Jesus was crucified, right? From him praying in the Garden of Gethsemane you know, to, to his arrest, his torture, his crucifixion, um, and all that. Now, it is very graphic. It is very, extremely violent. It's not like some like, cute Bible story. You know? it's, it's, it's very violent. I, I think it was, if I'm not wrong, it was an M18 rating. And in fact, uh, Mel Gibson was interviewed about it, and, and he said, I wanted it to be shocking and I wanted it to be extreme so that they see the enormity of that sacrifice, to see that someone could endure that and still come back with love and forgiveness even through extreme pain and suffering and ridicule. And then he said that the actual crucifixion was actually more violent than what they showed um, in the film. So anyway, uh, so I watched the film when it came out. And when I was watching it, uh, halfway through, I, I, just, I, I couldn't stop crying. I, it was so embarrassing I was just, the whole time. Um, and you must understand that I do not cry. I, I don't cry at movies, okay? You know, you watch those romantic scenes, and I'm like, ha, 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 you know? Um, and, and I have no problem watching gory shows, okay? Like, I love watching gladiator movies where it's like a blood fest and their limbs flying all at yeah, I love it. I mean, uh, I, I quite enjoy it. Um, and, but, but this, this show, um, I, I, I think I spent like half the film crying. Um, and it was, 
It was not like tear. It was just, it was like this embarrassed, ugly crying, you know. And and the reason was that it really hit me that this was not just a story, that this was depiction of reality. But the main thing, the main reason why I couldn't stop crying, was because that I, I realized that all that abuse and torture that Christ was going through, it was for me. It was for me. It it should have been me. And and really it it is a depiction of Isaiah fifty three, which says, Surely he took up our pain, he bore our suffering, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Because we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Why why did God forsake Jesus? Because Jesus stood in our place. Because he was bearing our sins, and therefore he had to be treated as a sinner. And that is why it was not enough for Jesus merely to bear physical pain. He had to feel spiritual forsakenness, forsaken by God, because that is the consequence of sin. That is the penalty of sin. When we break relationship with God, that is the consequence. If you think back to Adam and Eve, right, their greatest punishment was not that they would have to work the ground or they would have pain in childbearing and, and all that. The greatest and the immediate punishment was separation from God, banishment from the garden, and then death. Sin always separates from God, even when put on the sinless Christ. That is what sin does. And so when we think about this, when we think about the cross, we have to learn to hate sin and be indignant about sin. Because it was sin, our sin, that pierced and killed our Lord. And it was our sin that brought such agony and anguish upon our Lord. And yet, sometimes, today, we laugh at sin. We take it lightly. We brush it off. We can't do that. We have to realize the extent of our sin and how much it separates from God. Now, at the same time, the gospel message is two parts, right? How terrible we are in our sin, yet how great the love and grace of God is. And the song goes, my sin was great, your love was greater. And so this cry of Jesus feeling forsaken on the cross, right? It shows us the extent of his suffering it shows us the extent of our sin, but it also, above all, it shows the extent of God's love, His love for us, His love for us, His grace for us. That God loved us so much that in order to fulfill His loving purpose of saving us, that He was willing to bear even this extent of sorrow and of forsakenness for our sake. Jesus chose forsakenness. For our sake, Jesus chose humility and he chose obedience even to death on a cross. You will read about this in Philippians 2. 
This is what Paul writes, that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He was found in appearance as a man, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, the, the NIV says um, he made himself nothing, but I think the ESV states it better. It says Jesus emptied himself. He emptied himself, not of, not of divinity, right? He was still God, right? But he emptied himself of his rights. He emptied himself of his status. He emptied himself of his glory. He emptied himself of his divine power. And he emptied himself to the point where even the presence of God was denied him. Even the presence of the Father was denied him. That is the extent to which he emptied himself. It was the ultimate emptying and the ultimate dying to self. And the ironic thing is, is that as he hung there on the cross, powerless, that was his power. That is what shows us his power, that he saved us by not saving himself. Do you remember as Jesus was hanging there, people were like, haha, if you really got, save yourself lah, come down from the cross lah. It was precisely in not coming down and in not saving himself that Jesus proved that he really is God because only God, only the true Savior with his infinite love and absolute justice would gloriously give everything to seek and save the lost, which is you and me. And you know when he asked that question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you think he did not know the answer? Do you think he didn't know why? Of course he knew. He wasn't asking that because he's blur, out of ignorance. No, I believe he was asking a rhetorical question. Right? He knew the answer. He knows. He knows why it has to be so. He knew that the forsaking was necessary to save the guilty. And so he doesn't ask it so that the forsaking will end prematurely. He doesn't ask it to stop the suffering. I believe he asked the question to understand anew its answer. It's almost like he was affirming and renewing to himself the whole point of his dying on the cross. The reason why to save his people from their sin. And it was this eternal purpose that kept him there on the cross and sustained him throughout the entire trial of the cross. He knew. He knew the answer. He was affirming it. Some people say he asked it for our benefit that we might remember why. You know, Hebrews 12 too, we looked at it just, just now. It tells us that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And you know, I think that this is one of the most beautiful phrases of Scripture, that Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. What was this joy that he set his heart on? What was this joy that kept him on the forsaken cross? What was this joy that drove him to the cross? It was us. You know, there's that song that says, 
This was the joy set before you, that you would have my heart forever. That's the answer. That's what kept Jesus there. That was the extent of his love. And it is a love that surpasses knowledge. We will never fully understand and know the extent of his love for us. Let me get the worship team up. I know it's been a bit heavy today. If you forget everything else, just remember this. That Jesus was forsaken of God to make a way such that we would never be forsaken. God the Father forsook His Son on my behalf, on your behalf. And now I don't have to suffer the eternal consequences of my sin because Jesus has suffered it to the full in my place. He suffered to such an extent that He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And because, because He took our place, because He was the substitute, we, we the sinners, we are safe. Sin's curse has lost its grip on me. That's what the hymn says. All of us, we are all sinners. We don't measure up. We never will. We fall short. We cannot save ourselves. We suck. We are wretched. And we deserve hell. No one deserves the perfection of heaven. No one deserves communion with God. And God's infinite love does not eclipse and, and negate His absolute justice and righteousness and holiness. But neither does His justice destroy His love. You know, we sing that song, right? You are perfect in all of your ways. God is perfect in all of His ways. He's perfect in love. He's perfect in justice. And in the cross, in Jesus Christ, we see the glorious reflection of this. And so I hope you remember that the cross is not just some symbolic gesture. It's not a nice accessory that you wear around your neck. The Father deliberately gave His Son over to a painful and deadly, agonizing destiny so that our destiny would not be determined by death. For God so loved the world, He gave his one and only Son, so that whoever, whoever of us believes in Him, we will not perish, we will not die, but have eternal life. Sorry, can you put my last slide? And this is really the main point that, that, that I hope you take away today. That Jesus was forsaken so that we would never be forsaken. The last slide after this. Jesus was forsaken so that we would never be forsaken. You know, if you continue reading um, the passage, right, in, Ma in, in Mark or in Matthew, after Jesus says this, right, we read that when Jesus gave up His Spirit, when He died, this is what happened. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to the bottom. That's what it means when the song says, Death could not hold you, the veil tore before you. 
And previously for the Jews, the high priest was the only one who could go behind that curtain and access God. Because God is so holy, right? The sinful man, even the high priest, he can only go in once a year and only, only the high priest, no one else. Right, if you read your Old Testament, he, he, he had some belt at his robe because if he was not holy enough, he would go in there and he would die on the spot. That's what happens when sin encounters holiness. And so, so they hear the bell stop ringing, they would have dragged his dead body out. That's how holy God is. And the high priest would have to wash and, you know, purify himself like, like to the max. It's like ridiculous, you know, extreme measures. If not, he would die. If not, he would die because God is so holy and he cannot stand sin. And then the high priest would go in there and offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people's sins for forgiveness from God and reconciliation to God. But Jesus, our sinless high priest, he didn't just go in there and offer a sacrifice. He became the perfect sacrifice and he offered it once and for all. That's why he said it is finished. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And the Son of God bore the sin that deserved hell so that we might have access to the God of heaven. And my friends, that is the good news that the world needs to hear. Because we live in a world that is looking for hope. We live in a world that is looking for answers. Why is there innocent suffering? Why has God forsaken humanity? And Jesus is the answer. And that's why, that's why we tell you, bring your friends to church. It's not because we, we take a lot of pride in numbers. It's not because of that, but because the world needs to hear this good news. The world needs to hear the gospel message. This is the good news that everyone needs to hear. That Jesus was forsaken so that we would never never be forsaken and that is why jesus hung on the cross saying my god my god why have you forsaken me i want to ask us now to just bow our heads and would you just think about all that has been said i know there's nothing that nothing very new this is the basic message of the cross but it must strike our hearts every day And we must never lose the wonder of the cross as we consider the extent to which Jesus suffered for us, the extent of our own sin, and the extent of God's love and grace that we never deserved. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And as everyone's um, head is bowed, I just want to give an invitation because you never know, okay? If there is anyone here who has not yet believed in Jesus, you have never made that decision to call Him Savior and call Him Lord. I want to give you the opportunity today because you can find your life in Him. You can find joy and hope in Him. And you will never be forsaken of God even after death if you would surrender your life to Jesus and call Him your Lord and your Savior and your King. So if there's anyone here, would you give me a little wave and we can, we can pray for you or we can talk to you after that.
for the rest of us, I invite you really to focus on the cross today. And I'm not going to have an altar call because I feel, you know, as I was preparing for this message, this is not about us. You know, I could have easily given an altar call um, saying like, Jesus understands all your suffering. If you are suffering, come up here and, you know, you can find it. Yes, it is true. It is true, all that. But I believe as we think about the cross, as we think about the extent of His love and His suffering and His sacrifice, that our only response, our only response can be to bow down and worship. That is the only logical response. And so I'm going to ask now that we would respond to our Lord and respond to our Saviour in worship. Let's stand up. Him our worship as we think of what a Savior we have and what great love He has showed us and what great sacrifice He has, he has made on our behalf. So let me just invite you to come, come forward and, and let's just worship together.
mountain high or valley low, I sing out my my soul. I am yours. I am forever yours. Bad. 
your love and your sacrifice that you would die for us that you would die for wretched humanity God we are in awe at how much you love us we are in awe at the extent of your grace for us and what you were willing to go through for our sake even though we were completely undeserving. What a Savior. Jesus, we say that you are our Savior, you are our Lord, and you are our King. And God, we say that it is a complete privilege to be able to call you our Savior, our Father, and our King. And so God, we worship you, we praise you. We say that we adore you. Jesus, you are the King of kings. And Jesus, as you have humbled yourself and you were obedient even to death on the cross, you are now exalted to the highest place. You are the name above all names. And at your name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Christ and you are the Lord. And so God, we worship you. We praise you. We adore you. We say that God, you are worthy. You are so worthy. And we are so in, in we are so much in your debt. God, as we think about the debt of love that we owe you, God, we say we are filled with gratitude and awe and wonder. And we praise you. Let's just end with um, this chorus as we sing, Oh what a savior. And and you know, let's really declare this is the God we serve. This is the Savior that we have. And this is our Lord. This is our King. Oh, what a Savior. And oh, what a Savior. Isn't He
a great Savior. God, you are our good Father. And Jesus Christ, you are risen from the grave. And Father, we pray that in this season that leads up to Easter, that God, you will move us to preach the good news to all our friends because this is the message that the world needs to hear. And so God, we are asking that as we go into Easter, we ask that many will come to hear your good news, that many will come to hear the gospel and lives will be changed, lives will be ministered to and lives will be transformed. So Father, we ask that everything that we do will point people to Jesus, will point people to the Savior. We say we love you. You are the name above all names. You are Lord of Lords. You are King of Kings. You are Lord over all. We love you, God. We stand in awe of you. Would you keep us in awe of you and in wonder of you even as we go through the week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I hope you um, see the beauty of the cross. And then let's really invite our friends as we, as we move into Easter to hear the good news. See you next week. <laughs>